0: Well, we're starting a historic month here in the United States. In fact, it is the first Sunday in November and many people are aware that we are just two days away from our national election for the president and vice president of the United States. And what a timely moment for us as followers of Jesus or the many guests who perhaps are joining today, who either are local or uh, at a national level or even global, who might be wondering, what do we do in this moment? And how do we find a way to live that doesn't depend upon the circumstances, either that we want or to avoid that which we fear might happen? There's no better place to go than Scripture. And in the next four weeks, we're going to look at a very, very short section of Scripture. The Apostle Paul, one of the first leaders of the church, is writing to a group of Christians in a first century area called Thessalonica. And that book in the Bible is 1 Thessalonians. You can turn there right now. I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. And in those three verses, there are three commands, you could say. And each of those three commands uh, are God's will for you in Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to do is we're going to today take a look at that first command. Next week, the second command. The third week, the third command. And then in the fourth week, right after Thanksgiving, we're gonna see how all of this is God's will for you. This is God's desire for you in Jesus Christ. So of course, this was written in first century Christians, but because it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Scripture says it was God breathed. That means it's not only applicable, it is powerful for you today. And we're going to discover that there is a truth here, a power here, something that we can harness, not just in this moment in the beginning of November, not just in uh, the precipice before a national election, but these commands are applicable in every season of our life. Because for many of us, there are other greater things, other more significant things that we're navigating through right now that dominate our headspace even more than the election Things that could prevent us from seeing these commands in their beauty, in their invitation, and in their power. So let me read 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 and 17 and 18. And as you listen to these words, this is God's word for you and for me on this day. The Apostle Paul writes, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word. As we always say, thanks be to God. He starts off with rejoice. Always. How much do we need to hear this right here and right now? Again, no matter what you're going through, there is this it's, it's not just an invitation. Right now, this is a command. This is not optional. This is mandatory. The Apostle Paul is saying to Christians everywhere to rejoice, not just sometimes, not just when things go our way, not just when we avoid things that we think uh, are bad. It's in every moment of every day, in all circumstances, we are called to rejoice. Now, we've got to be very careful here. There is a a temporary and uh, a shallow and a, a, a quick hit that can seem like joy that we can try to access. But that's very different than the joy that God longs for us to have, which is deeper, which is more sustainable, which enables us in every circumstance to experience that joy Again, some of you, if you've been with us for a number of weeks, you know that uh, last week I went in with some friends and we entered into the Grand Canyon. The total uh, mileage of that run from rim to rim and back to the rim was 45 miles, (laughs) 10,000 feet of elevation gain. You know, in the months leading up to that run, there was so much planning, so much preparation. And a big question was, how are we going to fuel ourselves for this run? You know, there are kind of uh, quick fixes, short, temporary energy boosts that you can have when you're running, when you're doing physical activity. Uh, You know, you can load up on sugar and it gives you a quick hit. It's, It's almost instantaneous. And all of a sudden you have this rush of energy. The problem is, is that energy quickly runs out. And there's a lot of forms of fuel in our physical lives that can be short, that can be temporary, that don't actually sustain us. And so when we went into that run, we knew we had to avoid those things because even though it would feel good just for a moment, even though it would temporarily give us a little bit of energy, even though that that bag of gummy worms sounded so good, it would just be shallow and it would just be a quick fix. And so rather we chose Whole Foods, that had a longer ability to sustain us through that insane, massive effort. In the same way, you know, joy and happiness, which we often use interchangeably in our modern language, we can think that there are certain things that will give us an immediate joy, a shallow joy, a quick joy, a a temporary joy. But we know that those things are fleeting. Those things have an end. And if we hear the Apostle Paul's command to rejoice always, and the only joy we've ever experienced is kind of mustering ourselves up with the energy to, you know, to put a smile on our face, to, to cheer up, to oh, you know, grin and bear it and tough it out. We'll actually resent this command, I think. We will actually have our hearts hardened a bit if we only think that the joy that we're supposed to have is one that we just muster up because we've known in past experiences that that kind of joy, that kind of happiness really isn't real. really isn't authentic when there's a greater grief or a greater sorrow or a greater anxiety or a greater fear that might be before us. And so my hope is that by the end of our time, we would change our joy diet, that we would realize that there is a different joy that is offered to us as followers of Jesus and that you would reach for that joy, a God-given joy, an ever-present joy, an expansive joy, a deep joy, a joy that can transcend all space and all time and all circumstances, a joy that is actually deep and powerful, regardless of what goes on in your life, that you would reach for that joy rather than reaching for perhaps the other things that, you know, are just temporary, but they're just quick fixes. And so, as we walk through this, many of you are taking notes, I want to kind of give you three things that, that define, that give us an understanding of the type of joy that God longs for us to have so that we can rejoice always. And if you're taking notes, it is the environment of joy, the expanse of joy, and the end of joy. So you've got to stick to the end to discover the end of joy. So first, the environment of joy. You see, Paul is saying to rejoice always. But there's an environment that you have to be in in order to truly rejoice always. When you are not in that environment, you can't rejoice always that environment is actually something that you have a choice in. It is a choice that is entirely up to you. It's an environment that is offered to you, but it's up to you to choose that environment. And When you step into that environment, then there's a joy that actually enables you to truly rejoice always. Well, what is that environment? It's only one place. It's only one location. There's no negotiating with that, you can't be found in other environments. It is this one environment it is the only place that can unlock the deep joys, the powerful joys. And it's not a specific place on a map. It's not your favorite vacation spot. It's not in your home. It's not in a church sanctuary. The environment where true joy can be found is this one, in the presence of God. You see, in the presence of God, there is a deep and a lasting joy that you can access that is unlike any other environment that you can be in. And the beauty of the presence of God is that God's presence is everywhere. The problem is is so much of life, we we don't acknowledge God's presence. We 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 can be in God's presence and be so wrapped up in our own ways, our own things. We can be so focused on other things or the physical environment that we're in or the dreams that we have or trying to get the experience that we want that we miss out on the real environment that is right there and it's being in the presence of God. Now, I need you to know that being in the presence of God is not just a joyful thing. In fact, to be in the presence of God, when you look at all of Scripture from beginning to end, in some ways is also a terrifying place to be. When you are actually in the presence of God. You see, throughout Scripture, when people stepped into the presence of God, when God showed up, immediately, as I've heard it said before, uh, they were They were sucking tile, their face was on the floor because they were overwhelmed with the holiness and the beauty and the grandeur and the glory and the justice and the power of God. And yet somehow in the presence of God, being face to face with the most powerful being in the cosmos that spoke everything into existence that when the truth of God was revealed that caused people to be humbled in God's presence, the love and the grace of God was right there as well. That didn't crush people, it lifted them up with joy. I want to give you one example. Again, we're talking about the environment of joy, this This will unlock and help us understand how we can actually rejoice always. This is found in the prophet Isaiah, one of my favorite uh, sections of scripture. I know I say that all the time. I say in Exodus and Romans and so many places. Well, this is my favorite passage of scripture. I've got a a lot of things tied for first, but Isaiah six, it's this amazing picture. Uh, The prophet Isaiah, who is known as a communicator. One of the strongest things about him was his ability to speak to convince people to believe and to to rally behind a cause because of his power of his speaking voice. And he writes this, he has this vision and says this in Isaiah chapter six, verse one. I want you to hear and see the environment that Isaiah is in. In the year that King Uzziah died, this is a historical moment. Isaiah writes, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne this is a vision of the heavenly throne. This is a sneak peek into eternity. Isaiah has this vision. He says, As I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs, these were angels, were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called and the house filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me. I am lost for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of glory. To be in the presence of God humbles you. Isaiah was humbled. The very first thing that he says is, woe is me, woe is me. I'm in the presence of greatness. I'm not using God. God can't be used. God is vastly overqualified to be my assistant. Woe is me. And then he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Even the strongest thing about him, his ability to speak was nothing in the presence of the glory of God. So in the environment of God, on one hand, there is terror. There is awe-shaking power. But then the grace and love of God moves in. And I want you to hear this as well. Then one of the seraphs, again, the angels, flew to me What an emotional roller coaster that Isaiah has just experienced being in the presence of God. First, he says, "Woe is me in the presence of greatness, in the presence of glory, in the presence of the King of Kings." He is humbled. He is brought down low. Even the greatest thing about him is unclean. And then grace moves in. His sin is blotted out. He is made whole. And that is a foreshadow of the work of Jesus on the cross to enables us in God's presence to be completely humbled because we don't deserve God's love. And yet, because of the grace of Jesus, our sin has been washed away. We've been made a whole. We've been redeemed. We've been purchased. And now, like Isaiah, God looks at us and sees in us not somebody who is unworthy, but someone who is now worthy for us to, in Christ, and when the Lord spoke out and said, Whom shall I send? There was a joy, I believe, that emanated forth from Isaiah. A joy of realizing how lost he was and now he had been found. A joy that came from how low he had been humbled to how high he had brought up, that when the the invitation, the call upon his life, whom shall I send? Who shall go for me? Isaiah jumped on the opportunity. He didn't need to hear the job description. He didn't need to know what the pay was. He didn't know what the hours were. He said, here I am, Lord, send me. And he was sent out in the joy of the Lord. You see, in the presence of God, which you can only survive through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, by being covered over by the blood of Christ that enables God to be in your presence and have justice, your sin paid for, but the grace to be extended to you because you are in Christ through faith and trust in him. You can see this in the Old Testament, the foreshadow for this truth, and you see it in the New Testament. I'm gonna read a couple verses for you. In Psalm 511, King David writes, but let all who take refuge in you, O Lord, rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. So God spread your protection over them so that those who love your name may exult in you. You see, when you find the environment of your life in the presence of God, you can rejoice. But it's a choice you have to step into Again, God longs for you to be in God's presence all the time. And of course, in Christ, you are enabled to experience being in the presence of God. And yet when we close up Scripture, we stop praying, we stop spending time in God's Word, we can get wrapped up in the ways of the world. And the environment in which we live uh, can be one where we begin to think that joy will only come if the right circumstances play out. And so sadly, even though this sermon today on November 1st There is a command from Scripture given, rejoice always. There's some people who those words fall on deaf ears because they're saying, well, I will rejoice on the evening of November 3rd, or maybe it's going to be the morning of the 4th, or maybe it's going to be a week later when my candidate wins. And some sadly miss this powerful truth because they miss that true joy comes not from any earthly thing, not from any human thing, not from any circumstance that we want or the avoidance of one that we don't want. They miss those things and they get wrapped up in the ways of the world, thinking that somehow certain things are connected to joy. It's always been this way. This isn't just a modern thing. This has gone back since the beginning of time. And we need that perspective. Listen to this. This is uh, Psalm 4, verse 7 Again, King David writes this, God, you, you have put joy in my heart. It's not a circumstance. It's not an outcome. It's not a doctor saying you've now gone into remission. It's not a boss saying you're getting the raise. It's not an employer saying you got the job. It's none of those things. David is saying, you, Lord, you have put joy in my heart. And that joy is more than when their grain and their wine Abound. You see, King David knew it back then and same for us today, that there's a lot of different things that we think will give us joy, a lot of different environments that we think will give us a real sense of joy. But all of those things, kind of just like the sugar high, last for a bit, but they have limits to them. There's a shallowness to them. And there's this great and profound invitation that the Apostle Paul through the power of the Spirit in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 has for you and for me to rejoice always. And the only way we can do that is in every moment of every day, every decision in our prayer life to know I am in the presence of God. I'm in the presence of God right now while I'm alone. I'm in the presence of God while I'm with community. I'm in the presence of God while I'm waiting in the doctor's room. I'm in the presence of God while I'm on social media. I'm in the presence of God for waiting for the results to come in. I'm in the presence of God as I am in the midst of an argument with one I love. I'm in the midst of the presence of God when I'm angry at the person that I can't stand. the question becomes, will you find your mind, your heart, the presence of your being, operating from being in that presence, from choosing to see with eyes of faith that in this moment, there is a joy that God longs for me to experience and that you would access that regardless of the circumstances. Another verse, so this is Psalm 16, verse 11. King David writes, In your presence there is fullness of joy. I love that. It's not just a little bit of joy. It's not just joy. In your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now in the New Testament, Paul writes in Romans 14, 17, talking about the kingdom of God. Now the kingdom of God, a great working definition for the kingdom of God is the experience of God's reign and God's rule, the experience of God's presence, the experience of Jesus as the king on the kingdom that is in the midst of whatever earthly kingdoms there might be. Remember, Philippians says that your citizenship is in heaven. That's your Real citizenship, that's your real identity. That's the source of your joy, the environment of your joy. So that should enable you to be the best possible citizen here on planet earth and these earthly kingdoms. But the Apostle Paul reminds us that the kingdom of God is not food and drink and things, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Here's what I'm trying to say. You can begin to rejoice always when you realize that every moment of every day, not a sanctuary, not a place, not your favorite vacation spot, but everywhere God is present and you can access through Jesus the presence of God in a way that will humble you and lift you up at the same time, give you a perspective that will cause you to rejoice regardless of what the circumstances are. In fact, that environment of joy Enables us to see that there is an expanse of this joy that is limitless. You see, other environments, you know, where we think it's a thing or circumstances, the expanse of that joy is very limited, it's very small. It might be a four-year term. It might be uh, the length of a vacation. It might be the midst of uh, the market being high. It might be the midst of whatever you might think, but it it has its limits, its expanse. is not truly expansive, but the joy that comes from experiencing life that is perpetually in the presence of God has an expanse that knows no ends. And listen to these verses that enable us to see that no matter what's going on in life, that joy can be experienced in an expansive way. Romans chapter five, verses three through five, say it this way: "You know, we boast in our sufferings. I mean, that's a bold statement that Paul makes. A, a person who knew suffering very well, who was beaten, who was persecuted who was arrested, who was shipwrecked, who was flogged, who sadly ultimately was beheaded for his faith. He knew suffering, unlike many of us, no suffering. And he said, we boast in our sufferings. We brag about our sufferings. We don't hide it. We don't get downtrodden. We don't get distraught. We actually have a, may I dare say, a joyful boast in our sufferings. Why? Because the expanse of joy, the expanse of the environment of God's presence is so great that suffering can't push out God's presence. We can experience the presence of God in our sufferings, So we boast in our sufferings. And he goes on, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out to us through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Paul is unlocking something for you and for me. That more so when things just don't go our way, Even in the midst of the greatest suffering we can ever experience physically, financially, relationally, emotionally, God's presence cannot be deterred. And when you access that in faith, in prayer, in the reading of Scripture, in how you choose to live grounded in the joy of God, the presence of God, the environment of God, the expansiveness of that joy can be experienced even in the midst of great suffering. Another passage for you, if you're taking notes, is James chapter one, verses two through four. It's similar. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. Now let's just pause right there. Here's what he doesn't say. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, he doesn't say complain. He doesn't say Assume God is mad at you and has abandoned you. He doesn't say, you know, you've got to measure up because maybe you're not doing enough good deeds to earn God's love. No, he, he says, consider it pure joy. Pure joy. Unadulterated joy. Without blemish. Without anything that gets in the way. Without any grime or dirt or a speck of uh, food coloring that taints the whole thing, consider it pure joy. Well, why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces, just like Paul said, endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing even in Romans 8, it says this, that nothing in all of creation can separate us from God's love, whether height or depth or anything else in all of creation. Separate us from God's love. Would you know that the expanse of the environment of God's presence seeps into every pocket of the cosmos and there's no suffering, there's no circumstance. Even death itself isn't more powerful than the presence of God. And therefore, because it's so much more expansive, infinitely more expansive than any other earthly thing, joy can happen at all times and everywhere. You can begin to see how you can rejoice always even when things don't go your way, even when you're suffering. So we've talked about the environment of joy, the expanse of joy. Well, what about the end of joy? Now, I'm going to say it two different ways. Um, You know, in the English language, end can mean multiple things, but I'll use it in two uh, ways. You know, the end is uh, kind of the, the limit. It is the conclusion of something. It can also be defined as the purpose of something, what something is made for, what its uh, ultimate end goal or purpose or existence is for. So let me talk about the, the, the limits, the end of God's joy. This is where God's joy breaks ranks from any other type of joy or happiness that is out there. Because the joy that God longs for us to experience is an eternal joy. A joy that we can actually experience more and more in this lifetime as we press into the life that God calls us to live. A joy that through the power of the Holy Spirit, in fact, is one of the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, it's love and joy and peace and patience, one of the fruit of the Spirit of God in your life. Because you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, now the Spirit of God dwells in you. One of the fruit that is produced in your life is joy. God helps you with the joy so you can actually in God's presence rejoice more and more because it's not you rejoicing in your own strength. That is the Spirit of God helping you rejoice because that's the fruit of the Spirit of God being in your life, the joy that comes from the Lord. It's this never ending cycle that grows more and more as you submit your life to God's words, you spend time in prayers, you practice the way of Jesus. And that is just the tip of the iceberg compared to the fullness of joy that we're going to experience in God's presence. In fact, Jesus says it this way. Again, one of my favorite passages of Scripture In John 15, maybe you want to turn there right now, whatever Bible you have, whether it's a a physical copy or a digital copy. uh, John 15, you know, it begins with Jesus saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. But then it goes on and says this in verse 9 of John 15. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, I have said these things to you so that, Jesus says, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So Jesus is saying this deep longing that Jesus has is that His joy a perfect joy, a joy that knows no ends, that knows no bounds, that is the very epitome of God's love, that His joy would be in you through the power of the Spirit and that your joy would be complete, would be full, would be brimming over and that you in Christ for all of eternity would experience more and more the depths of that. And so you can say that there is no end to the joy that comes from God. Unlike all the other little joys and little happiness that can come here on earth, there are ends to those things. They have their limits. They have their terms. They have their times. They have their circumstances. Let's stop settling for those things. Let's not get caught up in those things. Those are important things, but they're not God. They're things that we should engage in. As followers of Christ, there are things that God gives us to bring him glory and renown. God isn't cost to withdraw from the world. No, he sends us into the world, but he calls us to find our joy, not in those things, but in him. And when we do so, there is no end to that joy. But also, and in another way to understand it, what is Joy's purpose. Now, I'll go back to all the other things. You know, in some ways, we know what it's like when there is um, a happiness or a lowercase joy, a little joy uh, that is an end to itself. I mean, let's face it. There's a lot of things that we do so that we will experience happiness. There's a lot of things that we do so that we would experience joy. I mean, a lot of our life is trying to avoid things that cause us pain and suffering and heartache. And we want happiness and we want joy. And it's important for us to understand that, that we long for those things. No matter who you are in life, whether you know God or not, we, we want happiness. We want joy. It's no wonder that one of the most famous courses ever offered at Harvard is a class on happiness. It's because we were hardwired for it. The problem becomes when happiness or joy is an end to itself, whether that is the vacation that ultimately will end, uh, the meal that ultimately will be finished, uh, the state of health that you might be in that ultimately will deteriorate, this specific economical or a partisan political circumstances that might be in place that give you a sense of joy and a happiness because things are going the way that you want. Each of those things are an end to themselves. However, there is an end to a God-given joy that extends beyond it. It was said most succinctly in the 1600s in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The very beginning of this very significant statement took two years to ultimately write and then publish. It all begins with a question. And the question is this, what is the chief end of man? I'll kind of translate into today's language. What is the primary purpose of humanity? The answer to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The end of joy, the purpose of joy, isn't so that you would just have it. That the end of joy comes back to the source of joy. That the joy that has always existed for all of eternity between God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Spirit, that unending joy, a hurricane of joy, a tornado of joy, a cosmic reality of joy that we'll never fully understand, that joy was extended to you. So that in Christ, you would enjoy God forever. That the joy would come back to you and back to God, the source of it all. We know what this is like in earthly terms. When we enjoy something, we enjoy it so much more when we invite somebody else to partake in that joy. You know exactly what that's like. When you're so into something, you're so excited about something, a a new restaurant, a new experience, a new place, a, a new meal, a new whatever, You you are, you are overwhelmed with excitement. You cannot contain the joy that is within you and you have to share that with somebody else. And it is so satisfying when that joy is then experienced by the other person. It makes your joy more full. And that's what Jesus has done. In John 15, remember he says, my joy I've given you. Make my joy complete. May your joy be complete. You see, there is a purpose to the joy in our life. And it's all for God's glory. It's all for God's renown. And my prayer for you is that you would get caught up in that never-ending cycle of joy. That you would choose to step into and experience the presence of God that you would see the presence of God as an environment that is not bound by a physical place. It's not bound by a sanctuary. Uh, it It is everywhere. And therefore, because you can choose it through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the expanse of that is so massive that even suffering can't push it back. And that you will begin to realize that there is no end to this joy. And the purpose of that is to enjoy God forever. So this is a command that Jesus gives us. But he isn't commanded to us, and step back and see if we can measure up or not. He commands it to us, and then he gives us God's spirit. He gives us His joy. It's all a matter of being caught up in the joy of the Lord, and the joy of the Lord is strength. The joy of the Lord is peace. The joy of the Lord is love. The joy of the Lord is power, in ways nothing else can provide. So as we begin this sermon series, may we not wait till a certain date, certain circumstance, may we choose now to rejoice in the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are full joy. Come in the flesh and you offer us a joy unlike anything else. It's a joy that puts everything else in context. It's a joy that actually enables us to grieve, to have sorrow, uh, to have frustrations, but we have a joyful grieving, a a joyful sorrow, a a joyful frustration. Help us to understand what that looks like in our life through the power of your Spirit, Jesus. May we be joy-filled people for your glory and your renown. It's in your name we pray and we say together, amen.